Welcome to the Hereby Call podcast, where we focus on preparing the called and reminding the returned by sharing life-changing experiences from serving the Lord. Sit back and relax because you're listening to the best podcast of this dispensation. As I was struggling to kind of acclimate to the language and the style, I had this guy next to me that, you know, was born and raised in probably the worst part of Lima in Peru Mm -hmm. and couldn't speak and just, he just had a, you know, rough upbringing, but he could teach with the spirit in his own way, stuttering through 80% of it. And that's what was going to convert people. And and I just embraced that. And so he taught me that, you know, the gospel is more than just the eloquent words that you say. It's, it's really the power you have in your testimony. Welcome back to the Here by Called podcast. I'm your host, Jordan, and alongside me is my co-host and brother-in-law, Zach. Hello. We are pleased to have, it's Rajiv. Did I say it right? Yep, yep. Rajiv Perfect. Patel with us. And I think there's always a new record for people that we've waited the longest to record, but you're <laughs> yeah. definitely, I think like it's almost a, a record a holder. Year. I think it's over a year. Yeah. Is it? Is it? Wow. But That's my fault, man. No. Yeah, you, straight up my fault. You're, it's all good. You're a busy guy. We've been yeah. busy too, so it's... It, the stars have aligned and we got you here today. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm excited to be here. We should probably start with a little bit of your background and your backstory. And we kind of started that and we stopped and we said, Hey, we need to start recording this. So you mind kind of telling us who you are, who you are and where you came from? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's kind of a, a lot of twists and turns, but um, yeah, I was born in Washington, DC. I was born on um, in the city and uh, I'm a first generation American. My father uh, immigrated here from India and my mom immigrated here from Nicaragua. So growing up, they both had green cards. Um, we bounced around a lot. Um, one of the things with my childhood that over the years I found more important to discuss and come to grips with was how chaotic it was. Um, my father was an alcoholic, um, and he just struggled with that sickness growing up. And so we would live with different family members or friends, uh, just cause we didn't have the stability at home. My mom barely spoke English, my father as well. And so it was, it was just a weird kind of everything was changing all the time. So if we were with my father's family members, it was all, uh, Hindu, you know, and, you know, gr- growing up in my home, I'd see the, the Hindu goddess in our home and uh, being worshiped. And then, you know, if we were with my mom's family, it was all Spanish and everything was Latin and Spanish. And, uh, and then, you know, I would see people in the streets or at school or or whatever. It was all English. So it was just constantly being exposed to different, um, uh, beliefs and, uh, languages and ways of life. And so that was kind of how I grew up and, and and looking back, it was a great thing to have that as a foundation to be open-minded. Um, growing up, I was, you know, I was born in Washington, DC. And then, um, I was sent to live in Nicaragua, um, which later I've come to realize it was just cause my parents couldn't take care of me. Um, oh, so they sent you. Yeah. I was, oh, yeah, wow. Yeah. I got, Were you obviously with family, right? Yeah. I was with, uh, my aunt, okay. my aunt was living there in Nicaragua and I lived with two different aunts. So she took care of me for a time. And then I went to live with another aunt oh, wow. at another part of Nicaragua. 
and, uh, they both loved me and took care of me and actually went to, you know, a little kindergarten class there. And, um, you know, it was, it was a time of like civil, civil unrest in, in Nicaragua. And so, you know, you'd see soldiers everywhere and a lot oh, wow. of just protesting and things like that. Um, anyways, I lived there for, for a time and I came, when I came back to the United States, um, I didn't speak English. I just kind of, it was, you know, kids learn so quick. And so I came back and I had to kind of relearn, um, English. And I remember throughout elementary school, I was in ESL classes. So they'd pull me out and then help me pronunciate. And, uh, so I had to kind of relearn the language and the culture and, um, we bounced, continued to bounce around. We'd go to California and lived in multiple spots there. And, um, I remember I have, you know, memories of just being on people's couches for a time for a few days. My mom would say, Hey, you're going to go here for, for a few days. And I, this is your aunt Julia or your aunt. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Got a lot of aunts. <laughs> yeah. A lot of aunts, a lot of uncles. And I would stay there and, and it was just what it was. So if, you know, there'd be a lot of times where I grew up with, I have one brother, he's older than me, uh, two years older than me. We were separated a lot growing up. You know, he would go to a spot and I would go to a spot. And, um, when I was seven, um, like I said, my dad struggled with alcoholism. Uh, we went to school one day and when we came home, my dad had just passed away. Mm. And, um, looking back, that was, I think the Lord's way of forcing stability in our lives because we really weren't stable. And that was like the kick that we needed to have some sort of normalcy. Mm -hmm. And, but at the time it was hard. So, um, yeah, when I was seven years, years old, my dad died. My mom was working two jobs. She, you know, she'd work morning and, and afternoon at McDonald's and nighttime she'd work at Sizzler. So my brother and I kind of took care of each other. But what my mom always did throughout my life was she would take us to whatever church was nearby. So there'd be, we'd go to Jehovah's Witness for, you know, a year and then we'd, we'd move to a new area and it was just some, you know, a Christian, local Christian uh, congregation we'd go to. And she just would tell people, like, teach them about Jesus. She'd buy us books about the Bible. Mm -hmm. And so it was always, um, looking back, she, that was the best thing that she tried to get us to, to te teach us about Christ. And anyways, uh, we, we moved with my uncle here in Gilbert. We lived in a room in his house in Gilbert. And of course the missionaries came by. <laughs> yeah. So was your uncle already a member? No. no. So, so it was, was they, they knocked on the door or something like that. My brother and I were playing outside and we were playing soccer and these missionaries, Elder Blake and Elder Thompson came. I still remember them. And they they started just playing around with us and hey, your parents inside. And I'm like, my mom's in there. And then my mom came out and they're like, hey, we're missionaries of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. We'd like to share a message with you guys. And my mom's like, do you teach about Jesus? And they're like, yeah, of course. And like, all right, let's do it. You yeah. know? And that was the, that was the end. You know, we, awesome. we, we were baptized and, and how old are you at the time? Uh, so I was eight. Okay. Yeah. Eight and got baptized. My mom, my brother and I, uh, my family thought it was all weird, you know, cause <laughs> they were, we were living with our Hindu family. Oh really? Yeah. yeah. So this is your dad's brother. That this is my dad's brother. Together. Yeah. Okay. My dad's brother was, was the one that really took care of us. Um, and just kind of watched over us. Um, you know, after, after, you know, my dad passed and everything. Um, but anyway, so we were baptized and that was another, you know, looking back, that was the Lord's way of giving us stability and help because 
got into Cub Scouts and then Young Men's, and that those were the father figures that yeah. I needed in my life. And so that was that was a blessing that the the missionaries tracked into us that day and 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 found us, and and that was that was kind of the beginning of being a member of the church. So. Yeah, hopefully that's kind of a little background. <laughs> into, no, that's awesome. Man, that, that, I I always love those stories where it's like, you know, those missionaries that just happen to be walking down the street. Yeah. And then to see how like, you know, how much they deeply impacted your entire life and Absolutely. your entire being, right? So yeah. that's awesome. Yeah, so before the mission, or I mm-hmm. guess you had quite a journey just to go on a mission. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And you left home at 16 years old. Yeah. Yeah. You mind telling us kind of about yeah. what was going on or so around eight or nine, you joined the church and yeah. now you're kind of immersed in this LDS culture, which yeah. was probably really new and, and different for you. Yeah. And I'm sure you were taught by your leaders and, you know, to, to aspire to go on a mission one day. Mm-hmm. And then at 16, you leave the house. Yeah. What was going on? Yeah. So I'll pick it up from there. That's, that's a good question. So, um, the church really supported our family and, 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 and helped us out. And now, um, I think about my childhood a lot when I'm in a ward council or something. And I think about certain families, it's like, I I was that family that was probably talked about every ward council or every meeting, like, how are the Patels doing? You know, are the boys doing okay? Yeah. We were the family that were, you know, we were getting stuff dropped off for Christmas and, and, you know, free dental work and all that kind of stuff. And so it was, it was, I, I came to know really fast when I became an adult was like how the temporal uh, aspect of service is so important for families that need it because we were that family. Um, now, my mom worked all the time. So we relied a lot on church leadership to help us get to church and everything. Um, but so once I got older into my teenage years, um, I started playing music. So I started playing in bands. And, and uh, when, we were, when I was 16 years old, the band I was in, we got a record deal. And a part of that was wow. like, Hey, you guys have to go on the road. You At know? 16. That's awesome. At 16. <laughs> so I stopped, um, going to high school at some point in, in 11th grade and I was about 16 years old and I started traveling. So we traveled all over the U S Canada, Mexico, just all over. We were just in a different city every night. And that was, I think my experience of being inactive. Mm-hmm. Um, stopped going to church, stopped reading the scriptures, stopped praying. I was just so focused and ha- you know, having fun on the road. Um, and, and just lost touch with like any, any like stability with school or church. And I was immersed in this, um, this new lifestyle of being on the road and, and seeing things for the first time, you know, I'd one day I'd be in New York and then, you know, a week later we'd be in Vancouver Wow. Or, or where or Miami or wherever, and that's what it was constantly. We were constantly touring on, on, you know, playing concerts and and doing that. So that's that's kind of what happened up to up to that point. And then I, you know, had an experience that led me back to the church as well. That that helped me understand that I needed to go on a mission. Yeah. But, so so how long were you you touring for before this experience? Uh, three years. Oh wow! So it was like a constant. Yeah, it's not like a good nine month little nah, thing. It was. I, it was. That I, was like your. Focus. I thought like, that 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 was it. I thought that that was like you know some people say like their purpose or their calling in life. I thought that that was what I was gonna do forever. Like legit, you know. Yeah. Mission was out of the question. I thought the church was cool, but 
you know, I had a big Afro and <laughs> just like, I was just so, I was just so into it, you know? And so mission was completely out of the question. I wasn't even really thinking about it. So, so when I hear band members and stuff like that, I also think the lifestyle that comes with it, yeah. was that, was that in the mix as well? You know, the partying and partying and stuff like that? Or? Yeah. The, the, the blessing that I had and looking back, it was a great thing as uh, there was a few members of like our group that were return missionaries. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay, okay. So it was great, you know, like it was really cool. And so gotcha. I would, you know, from time to time I'd hear about their missions and stuff and it was, it, it, it kind of was like, oh, that's, that's pretty cool, you know, that you did that. And so I was the young guy, I was the little guy and everyone was about 10 years older than me. Um, but yeah, no, that, that ended up being like a good influence. Okay. Yeah. That's good. So what was this experience that kind of, that lightning bolt that came down and hit you? Yeah. So I, it was, uh, yeah, about three years into touring, I had a good friend that we grew up with. His name is Tony and, and Tony, um, got his mission call and, and he served in the Washington DC South mission. And I remember one night we played in DC, we had a day off the next day. And, um, at that time it was all through email. Right. And so I emailed Tony said, Hey, we're going to be in your neck of the woods. He's like, where, where are you playing? Do you have a day off? And he said, and he was in a little town called Luray, Virginia, which is outside of DC. And he said, Hey, we got, I got a place for you to stay. Come stay here. You don't have to pay for a hotel. And then I'll come see you. We could see each other. And I hadn't seen him in a long time. And I said, okay. So I told, I told the guys and they're like, yeah, that sounds good. So after the show, we drove to Luray, we stayed the night with his family called the Stanleys. They were uh, like one of those like staple, staple family, like whatever the missionaries, whatever they can do, they did. So they were the coolest family. Yes. The Stanleys. And, um, I remember waking up and Tony and his companion were just like looking at me where I, like, I was like, I probably slept into like 11 or 12. Yeah. It was like, they were just like hovering over me and I like opened my eyes and I'm like, Oh dick. <laughs> and they're like, Hey, let's go get some lunch. I'm like, all right. So we went to a little place called tasty freeze. It was like the DQ of the, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. yeah. Um, some of you guys have heard of that. And they were just like, Tony was just like, what are you doing, man? Like what's going on? You know, like he was probably looked at me and just felt like I was lost or, and he, and he said, Hey, when we get back to the Stanley's, can we teach you the first discussion? And I said, sure, that sounds fine. Um, they're probably just trying to stay on task and, you know, um, do what they needed to do. So they, they, when we got back to the house, they taught me the first discussion and at the end, which is what they're used to, they, you know, they challenged me to read the book of Mormon. And I said, they, they committed me to read it. And I said, yeah, I'll read it. But I thought they were just kind of playing around. Like it was just, they were just the practicing, practicing or something. Yeah. Like, yeah. Cause I was already a member, you know? And I said, yeah, I'll read it. And then I'm like, all right, thanks guys. And, and then my, I remember he looked at me and he said, do you promise you'll read it? And I said, yeah. And he looked at me again. He said, promise, promise me. And I said, I promise. And so I kept that promise and we had about six weeks left on that leg of the tour. And I read the book of Mormon in that six weeks, you know, on the, on the, on the drives. And I, 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 I just read the whole book of Mormon straight. And I remember I had about a chapter left and I saved the chapter. And when I got home, the first thing I did was I put my bag down in the little apartment we lived in and I read the last chapter and I prayed and my testimony had grown so much. And I think Sunday was like a couple days later. I went and saw my bishop and I said, Hey, 
Um, he was probably surprised to see me. You know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, he was a, one of my old young men's leaders. So he remembered me and he just said, I just said, Hey, I want to, I want to serve a mission. I want to go on a mission. And he was like, wow, awesome. You know, he was, he was, he was stoked. And anyways, a year later I left on my mission. So that was, um, I always tell my buddy, Tony, I was like, I was one of his converts, you know? Um, and it was, it was through that promise, you know, to read the book of Mormon that I was, it changed my life and kind of brought me back and, and refocused me on the gospel. And, uh, how, what was it like to, uh, I mean, obviously there were some other band members that had yeah. served missions when you went, when you get, went back to them and said, Hey, I, I'm going to go yeah. somewhere else. How, how was that take? They were supportive. Yeah. Yeah. It was awesome. Yeah. No, they were like, that's awesome. Like, I think that's great. And, um, yeah, they were very, they were very supportive. Yeah, was great. there ever a point where you, you doubted yourself in that process or as soon as you knew you wanted to serve a mission, you went for it or, you know, because again, you thought that was going to be the rest of your life was playing in, yeah. in the music. Did you ever like keep one foot in the, in the music world and kind of be like, okay, how do I do this? Or was it just as soon as you got that feeling you were convicted to go? No, that's a good question. Yeah, for sure. And I think one of the things I, even I still struggle with it, um, is sometimes I don't feel like I fit in exactly, or I'm fit the fit, um, the prototype, you know? So I felt different even in the MTC, even on my mission, I, I felt different, but I learned to embrace that. But I think that was the doubt I had like going in, like, you know, even like, am I worthy to serve? Like, am I going to be an effective missionary? Do I want to do this? Absolutely. You know, totally for that year. And it was, it was, it was really, it was really strong, but I'm glad I could lean. I'm glad I could lean on that, that experience I had reading the book of Mormon that, really helped get me through that mm -hmm. and enough to where I got on that plane. Yeah. You know, yeah. <laughs> that, that's, a, that's a moment of faith. Yeah. Yeah. I remember I, I'm the first in my family to serve a mission and my, I had a cousin who went and he said the hardest part was just getting on the plane. Yeah. But, getting on the plane. And the reason why I asked that question, I feel like, so I'm in young men's. Yeah. Uh, I feel like there's a lot of, uh, Oh, I got a scholarship to go to ASU or oh, I'm going to go to school for two years and just figure things out. Or I'm going to go play football, this, that, and the other thing. There's all these other, things that kind of get in the way. Yeah. And obviously, again, you were a full-time musician, right? And, mm -hmm. you know, the one thing I, I always tell my young men, if there's any young men out there that are listening in, in a similar situation is like, you'll never regret going on a mission. I know that sounds really hard, you know, sitting in your situation where you have all these things in front of you going, I could go to school, I can go get a job, I can go do this, I could go do that. But a mission, you'll never regret that. And yeah, I mean, never. you're a perfect example of that. You'll never regret it. And you learn really quickly. You don't know what you're capable of until you do it, you know? Um, and, and I, I tell that to the young men too, you know, how important it is to serve a mission. And even if you don't feel quite ready, the Lord will prepare you. The Lord has prepared you if he called you and he'll provide a way that you can fulfill the capacity you've been called to, to fill, you know, and, and yeah. it's, it, that's part of a testimony building. And it's amazing thing as a missionary that I w would learn really quickly, um, that, uh, yeah, he'll prepare you in, in, in his own special way. Let's talk about that for a second. Cause yeah. I mean, you had a lot of life experience up until that point. Yeah. Right. 
It's interesting to hear that <laughs> you said you didn't fit like the prototype yeah. or the mold, but yeah. you had so much experience being out in different cultures and yeah. on the road. Yeah. And then the one thing you said is you never know how prepared you are for something until you do it. Yeah. So I look at you going like, I don't know, how old were you when you actually like went on a mission? I was almost 20. Okay. So you're yeah. a little bit older. I yeah. mean, yeah, a little that bit. happens. Yeah. Um, I think yeah, everybody, I had some... 22, 23 year olds in my mission. And, yeah. And those are like the best missions. Yeah. Yeah. They, yeah. No, I did they too. Get I agree. Yeah, so. <laughs> um, but you know, what, give me an example of one of those things. Cause again, I, I, I'm sitting here going, this guy toured, you yeah. know, the world he's lived in a couple of different countries. What was one of those things where you're like, it, like this prior experience yeah. prepared me to serve. A exactly. Mission. Exactly. Yeah. I think, you know, I think as a, you know, as a convert to the church and someone that had kind of a shaky experience with the church prior to the mission, I think the hardest thing, and naturally, I think some people would, would, um, um, relate to this is I didn't have the heritage in the church that the generational, of, the generational okay, heritage the parents that were strong writing letters, you know, that they had served missions and then it was generational. My mom was barely going to church at that point. Mm -hmm. And I think she was just going cause I was on a mission. My brother was already inactive. I was like the only one really in the church. And so I didn't have that quote unquote regular Mormon family. Mm -hmm. And so it was, that's what was hardest thing for me is like when I'd be with even people in like my MTC group, or people around me, I felt like I was just, just different because yeah. I didn't have that, that heritage. Does that make gotcha. sense? Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, I think that was the hardest thing looking back, like you can say that and be like, oh, that's not a big deal, but it was kind of a big deal when you're young, you're, you know, you're 19 years old and you rely a lot on that heritage. I think a lot of people around me did, and I just didn't have that. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I had a lot of life experience for sure, you know, um, but, but I just didn't, I didn't have that. Mm -hmm. And I, and that's what I saw a lot around me, you know, especially in the MTC with, with companions and, and, and people in my district or, or my zone or whatever. Um, but I learned to embrace it. Uh, but it, but it just took, it just took some, some time. So you get your mission call. Yeah. What was the official name of your mission? Uh, Peru, Arequipa. Mission, and, yeah. And what were your thoughts when you when you opened it up? And I was that? stoked. I was so stoked. <laughs> like for, uh, and uh, did you forget a hundred like all of your Spanish that you learned in kindergarten? Yes. Okay. Yeah, this is another story, bro. Like, How many languages have you learned and forgotten? <laughs> so, for instance, so That's this tough. is what happened, bro. Like, I, you know, obviously was born English. I heard multiple languages in my home at a time. Then I went lived in Nicaragua. It was only Spanish. Then I came back. And I got to the point where I could understand my mom only spoke to me in Spanish, but I would just respond back to her in English. So okay. if someone was speaking, I could understand it, but the words, I wasn't training that muscle. So I could, I could do, I could speak Spanish, but it was very broken. Um, by the time I got on my mission. So on, when you, when you fill out your mission papers, they ask you if you know any languages and, and I said, I know Spanish. And so what they do, I don't know if they do this anymore, but what they would do is they would, they called me multiple times on the phone. Oh, wow. And they, they just call say, you speaking Spanish. To see well, they would know. say, Hey, <laughs> this is, uh, this is sister, blah, blah, blah for the MTC. Do you have a minute for an assessment? And I said, sure. And they would just start speaking Spanish that can, can we have a conversation and they would test me. And so basically I was kind of in broken Spanish talking back to them. 
And then they would say, okay, can we call you next Thursday at six? And they would be like, this is brother, blah, blah, blah from the MTC. Can we, really? you know, so they, they tested to make sure I really knew. And I was only in the MTC 19 days. Oh, okay. Yeah. And my whole district was elders from foreign going into the States and they were all speaking oh. Spanish. So my district was going to like a couple went to Ogden. Um, all Spanish. Uh- like all, uh, all from Latin, Latin America, all, yeah. one from Argentina, gotcha, gotcha. a couple from Mexico. Yeah. They were all from outside of the U S coming into the U S and I was the one missionary in our small little district that I was going in the U S out gotcha. to South America, but it was good for me. But I struggled in the MTC because I was around all these really, really fluent speakers and I understood, but I just couldn't really speak. And then I had an experience about a month into the mission that was that I just, uh, it, um, I woke up one morning and I remember there was mornings where we wouldn't have water and we had these big blue bins. Yeah. yeah. A couple of you guys probably hearing this wouldn't know this, know the pain of like, <laughs> is there water elder? It's yeah. Like, Dang, there's no water. So you get these big blue bins, you take the lid off and you use that water to kind of uh, groom yourself and, and brush your teeth and all that. And so I remember I woke up and we had a zone conference that morning. It was my very first one. And I woke up kind of early to get ready because we had to get on a bus and I checked the water. It wasn't on. And so I went to the blue bin and I don't know what happened. I just started speaking Spanish perfectly. It was like a, it was like the veil was lifted, bro. Like all <laughs> of a sudden I was just, I was saying words like, where did I learn that word? I don't know that word. Yeah. And it was night and day. It was like the Lord said, all right, like you, I could see you're working hard. I'm going to take that language barrier that you had, you know, not speaking Spanish for all those years off. And from that moment on, it was, it was literally a morning and it, it was an amazing ex- experience because I remember my first couple lessons, I was so frustrated. I could, I knew what to say, but I couldn't say it. Mm-hmm. And I was so frustrated. I remember one lesson with a sister who ended up getting baptized I was so frustrated that I couldn't really express myself that I started crying in the lesson. <laughs> and it was, it was like, it was just, I was, yeah. it was just frustrating. And then, so finally, I think the Lord said, all right, Elder Patel, I'm gonna hook you up. And he, just, <laughs> he just hooked it up. And, and it, it, all that, all that past that was in my brain came, came in and I was able to, to, to start speaking the, the language again. And the, a lot of people have had this experience too. Like, you know, you learn Spanish or whatever language. When you get to the country, it's totally different. Oh yeah, it's like a whole different yeah, Spanish. Like I couldn't understand them. Yeah, I remember I got off the plane and they just you you have the ladder up to the door and then you walk. Out. It's not like America with the, with the, with the, big <laughs> the terminals thing. and the, stuff. No, like no, that. the yeah, red yeah. carpet. That and they <laughs> and they put your luggage on the ground and you get out. You walk off the plane on a on a on an escalator on a little steps and then you just they just throw the luggage on the ground. You grab it yeah. and I couldn't find my luggage and I went up to one of the uh, ladies, uh, the stewardess. stewardess, Yeah. And I said, Hey, you know, is this all the luggage? And she was talking to me in Spanish and I couldn't understand her. And I said, I kept saying, uh, excuse me. Like I didn't get it. And then I remember she looked at me and she said, do you speak Spanish? And I said, yes, I understand Spanish, but I can't understand you. And that was my first hit of reality. Like I'm, I'm not in Kansas anymore. (laughs) This is a whole nother Spanish that I, and so it took time to acclimate to the Spanish of the country you know, cause my Nicaragua Spanish was different than Peru Spanish. And so the slang, like you said, and, mm-hmm. and everything. So, um, and that takes, it takes time to acclimate to that, uh, 
each country's language. Yeah, we talk about there. There is that little uh, that gray area where you kind of have to, you know. I always like think of it as like a baseball glove. You got to get like worn in, right? Yeah. So we talked about the language. What about what about some other cultural experiences like food? Yeah. Honestly, bro, I'm gonna be 100 honest. I I felt blessed every meal. Really, the food was so good. What was the weirdest thing you ate? Um, there was a lot of weird stuff. Like one of the one of the main dishes, like the the delicacies or like the the to, the token Peru dish is called kui. It's it's guinea pig. Oh, <laughs> and so they basically get it from the backyard, and we even cook. We would cook it. You'd grab it by the neck, wring it out. It'd break its neck. You'd cut its stomach open. And then you take the insides out and then you'd boil it and all the hair would just fall off. And then you would just put it in a frying pan and a rock on top of it. And it would just fry like this, you know, like arms spread out. Like out. And then they would put it on your plate. It took like 20 minutes. Oh, really? Yeah. It was, and it was just like, it was alive like 20 minutes ago and then it's on your plate. And it, it's like a, it tastes like chicken, but it's guinea pig. So they eat a lot of guinea pig. Um, that was probably the most unique, you know, type of dish that we would have regularly, but they eat everything. And that was one of the things you learn when you go to South America. Nothing is wasted. Yeah. You eat the 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 meat from the cheeks. You eat the toenails. You eat every part of that animal. Mm-hmm. Nothing is wasted. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's more of like a mental yeah. uh, thing. I remember m- my first lunch, uh, I served in Brazil. Yeah. And I it was a chicken. Same thing. They killed it that morning. And yeah. I had the chicken neck. Oh. And I don't know if you've ever eaten a chicken neck. I mean, it's just like a spine, right? And I'm sitting there like, like, I don't even know what it is. I've never eaten a chicken neck and there's barely any meat on it. And it's like, you know, you finally look at it and you're like, that's a spine, (laughs) you know? So it was more of a mental thing than anything. But tell us about, I mean, you had written down here, skull soup. Yeah, skull. That was that was skull soup. Yeah, so that oh, was that one of the weird called? things. Yeah, no, that that was kui, but oh, okay. skull soup was another one. I remember there the we'd have what we call them pensionistas. Like it was, it was so funny. Like I always hear, you got to learn how to iron your clothes. You got to learn how to cook. And then I didn't do any of that. We had a lady that did our laundry. Oh, really? Yeah, and it was a way to create a job for them. Yeah, and yeah. Also, we were just so busy that we would show up at a certain time. The food would be ready. We would drop off our clothes. Our, you know, they would they'd wash everything and return it. Um, but I remember what you, you come home and like, I wonder what we got today. And like, I remember the first time it was like this broth and a skull. <laughs> I'm like, what's this? And I looked at my companion and he's like, oh, it's a caldo de cabeza. It's like head soup. I'm like, I'm like, what do I do? He's like, well, you drink it. And then you use your spoon to scrape out the, the meat inside like, the bones and you can, you can break the bones and suck out the marrow. So what, what kind of skull was it? I don't even know. Like straight up, maybe it was a goat. Like goat head. Okay. Goat. Yeah. Yeah. That's but you just, it was good. You just, you just kind of eat it. Brothy soup. it. It was. And the one thing I'll say this, the one thing I always just embraced the food and anything that came because it was, it never left me when I was set apart as a missionary, my stake president, president Fleming, I remember, I don't remember much about that setting apart except for one thing, he blessed me that I would be able to work every single day. And I never left me. And so I almost went out to the mission and I felt bulletproof. Oh uh, yeah. Like, oh, yeah. I'm like, I was blessed that I'm going to be able to proselyte and serve every single day. And it was true. I was sick a couple times, like a little bit, but I was mm-hmm. never that sick. And I, I worked every single day of my mission. And that was like, 
that was like a strength to me that like, no matter what happened or what I was going through, even if I started feeling a little sick, I'm like, I'm, I'll be good tomorrow, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, so that was, that's awesome. That was, that was something that I always had in the back of my mind. So nothing scared me in that way. So continuing on you're you're acclimating yeah. to this new culture. Yeah. And typically the first person that kind of helps you acclimate to that culture is your trainer. Yeah. And you had written down that there's some things about your trainer you want to discuss. So yeah. tell, tell us about your trainer. Oh man. Why, why did they have such a big impact on you? Elder Monasterio. He, I remember when I got to my mission, I got in super late at night. Um, and I was the only missionary coming from the States into the mission. So it wasn't like, you know, a lot of missionaries, when they come in, they have a group. I didn't have that. I just was solo. I flew in like super late. The, I think it was even late for the mission president because he wasn't there at the, it was his, his wife and the assistants and they were just there. So I walked off the plane and um, it was in the capital city, Arequipa. And our mission was very challenging geographically. We'll probably go into that um, because it became a part of my, part of my mission, but um, I had to stay the night there and then I had to take a couple buses to where my first area was, which was an area called Elo. It was on the coast. And, um, they said, okay, your companion is going to be there when you get off the bus. And so they put me on a bus the next day after I met with the mission president and the mission president, I remember he told me, he says, your companion is special. And and he, he kind of let me know, like, it might be a challenge, but he is special. Remember, he's special. And I didn't think much about it. You know, I just didn't think about it until weeks after I, I, that, I remember oh, that, that conversation. Yeah. Okay. I know what he was talking about. So anyways, I, I get, I, I, I travel the whole day and I get there at night and my companion's right there. And I remember the first time I met him, he, he couldn't. Uh, get a sentence out without stuttering. Mm. And he had a severe uh, speech impediment and he stuttered very bad. And, and so I was nervous. Like, I'm like, I got to learn about the mission and there's things I need help on, you know, learning the lessons and everything. And he just had a hard time speaking, but uh, we got to the apartment and we were just opening a new area. So I didn't even have a bed. So I slept on the bed. We were still figuring out like the room and the furniture. And I couldn't quite understand what he was telling me. And then I learned that night that he couldn't read or write. And oh, wow. yeah. And so I didn't, I didn't, I had a lot to think about. So I didn't really think about it, but I'm like, oh, this is going to be tough. You know, I remember thinking, sleeping that night. I'm like, this is going to be hard. And, um, the next morning we had our companion, our, our individual and companionship study, you know, and first we had our individual study then for an hour, then we studied as a companionship In an individual study, our desks were next to each other. And I remember looking over and there was a lady, a picture of a lady who had no limbs on his, as a picture on his desk. And I asked him, I said, who, who, who's that lady? And he says, that's my mom. And, um, over the, the next few days, I had learned that, um, he never knew his dad, his mom didn't have limbs, so she couldn't work. And so since he was six years old, he would go into, they call them combis. They were like little buses that people mm -hmm. traveled around the cities and he would go and sing because when he sang, he didn't stutter. It was crazy. He yeah. didn't stutter when he sang. 
even in church, he loved to sing the hymns because he just could be free. He's so confident. I've heard about that. Yeah, yeah. It was a thing. And um, so he would sing in the combis and he would do, he would dress up as a clown and do like little tricks for kids. And then he would, he would earn money like mm -hmm. tips. And that's how he basically supported his mom all growing up. So that's why he didn't know how to read or write. And on the mission, he learned how to read and write pretty good. And by the end, he, he, he was blessed to know how to read and write, which was cool That's awesome. because I was there when he left and I talked to him before. And, um, that was a great, one of his great blessings. But what he taught me was he was very, he was a very spiritual person and that the language of the spirit isn't with words. And he was so, people loved him. He was so powerful when he taught and you could feel the spirit when he would bear testimony. And so I learned early on. And I think that was the lesson that I needed to learn was as I was struggling to kind of acclimate to the language and the style, I had this guy next to me that, you know, was born and raised in probably the worst part of Lima in Peru mm -hmm. and couldn't speak and just, he just had a you know rough upbringing, but he could teach with the spirit in his own way stuttering through 80% of it. And that's what was going to convert people. And we started, and, and I just embraced that. Yeah. And so he taught me that, you know, the gospel is more than just the eloquent words that you say. It's, it's really the power you have in your testimony and, and how you can invite the spirit. So, so that was a great lesson to me early on. And we, he became, that was my brother right there. Yeah. And I remember even the, the zone leaders, you know, once a week we'd have our district and zone meetings, they'd pull me aside and say, Hey, are you doing okay? There was one, one of my zone leaders, my first zone leader, Eller Bailey, he's from Utah. He would talk to me in English say, are you, are you doing Kind of like checking in on me. Yeah, like, yeah, are yeah. you okay? I'm like, yeah, I'm great. And so I think I just learned to embrace his deficiency because his deficiency taught me that the, the spirit works not through the words that we're learning in the lessons, but through the power we bring to it and our, how much we sanctify ourselves in, in, in the work. And we had a lot of success. It was awesome. And uh, he taught me a lot. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. You guys sounds like a, I don't know, just, just a hero. And that's such a amazing lesson to learn so early in your mission. Yeah. yeah. And I, I, so I'm grateful. Like I could have had a trainer that, you know, taught me, you know, nor I guess you quote unquote normally. And, you know, but that was the type of trainer I needed because I think I went into the mission feeling a little bit different. And I, it was, we bonded that way because we both had our own little deficiencies and, and, um, our own differences, but we just, we were just guided by the spirit. And that's, that's what I needed, um, it, you know, as, as a trainer and as an introduction to what it is to be a missionary. So. Yeah. It's also important. I mean, we always preach it on almost every episode is you need to find a way to be yourself as yeah. a missionary. Yeah. Right? It's very easy to get lost in scripture mastery or mm -hmm. quickly flipping to a, a scripture verse to answer somebody's question. Whereas when you learn how to speak to them as a person, and, uh, you know, they always said it in my mission, speak with your heart rather than your mouth. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, big things happen. And, you know, obviously not knowing how to read or write, but still being able to communicate like that, whether through, through song, you know, uh, the Lord, the Lord is there to support you and all that. So. Absolutely. I had one of my friends before I left, I, I still have this letter. I still keep it in my scriptures. 
um, he wrote me a letter before I left. And the thing that I remember from that letter that really has still stuck with me today, and I, and I share that with the young men that are about to go on missions. He wrote, don't change, be who you are, but be, be the you that's more dedicated to Christ. Yeah. And so I think that's key. Kind of like what you mm-hmm. said, like the Lord doesn't want you to change. He wants you to be who you are, but he just wants you to be a little more dedicated, you know? And so that's, what's really going to change people when you're, when you're real and authentic as a missionary, but you're just more dedicated to the service and, and to the work that, you know, we don't need robots and people that know, like you said, every scripture mastery and every, you know, you got to be you, you got to keep it real, but just be, just, just have a higher level of sanctification, a higher level of dedication. So that, yeah. that always stuck with me throughout my mission. That's awesome. So kind of continuing chronologically, yeah. you get taught this lesson, this really amazing lesson that I, you know, that missionaries don't learn too early on is, is be yourself and the Lord will bless you. Yeah. Like it, it doesn't matter how, how much skill or whatever, as long as you're intent. Yeah. And then you get this new assignment. Yeah. And your next assignment, you, I'm going to share it. Yeah. You were called to, to train and to open up an area. Yeah. And so now you kind of have this feeling maybe of the blind leading the blind and you're like, what? Well, yeah. How, like tell us about, that experience, like what advice would you give to a young missionary that might feel overwhelmed with an assignment or, or were you feeling overwhelmed or were you kind of, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, I was, for that? <laughs> I was super overwhelmed because I trained when I was four months into my mission. We, so I was called to open an area and train a new missionary who had been in the MTC for two months. So we were only two months apart like in terms of chronological mission time. So he's an American. He's an American. Yeah, yeah. James. Yeah. And so they're like, all right, you're going to go to this area. You're going to open it. Um, it's been closed for a couple years now. <laughs> and so there's no, you don't have any foundation yeah. like, okay, who are we teaching? What's going on? You know, sometimes when you go to a new area, you just pick up where you pick the ball up, up where it was left. There was nothing. There was no area book. There was just like, we were just, here, here's your, ge- here's your geographical boundaries, go to work. And I had this new missionary. So I was feeling super underprepared, um, underexperienced. And then I had to train and then also worry about finding people to teach for him. But what I learned from Elder James and being a young missionary, like you said, it was blind leading the blind, honestly. But what I learned in that uh, transfer uh, training him was a successful missionary is based off of how much he loves and serves his companion. So I learned that. So for instance, what I figured out is the more I do for my companion to serve him, the better success we'll have and the closer we'll be to the Lord. So all I did was try to help him. I said, what do you need? We, I, we'd go over his Spanish. We'd go over the lessons. We'd pray together. I'd make sure his, his, his shoes were polished. You know, in Peru, I don't know if you guys had this in Brazil. Did you guys have bunk beds? No. Did you have bunk beds? I think maybe no. in some that'd houses. Be, that'd yeah. be fun. <laughs> well, you had bunk beds, but it was the, there was like this weird thing, mission culture thing where the senior companion slept on the bottom and then the junior companion slept up top. Huh. And I never did that. You know, as a senior, I always slept on the top. I always let them know like I'm, I'm, I'm beneath I'm you. I'm new too. Yeah. I'm new here too. So that, I started that with Elder James and as I focused to serve him and, and, and really focus on him and helping him be better. That was the lesson I learned through that transfer as a, as a, as a trainer. 
to, if you just focus all your energy to be the best companion you can be, everything will work out, you know? And then now, you know, uh, you know, in, in a, in a, in a marriage or in any calling you have, if you just focus on making the people around you better, then the spirit will help you as you serve, you know? And so that's, that's what I really learned from that transfer as opposed to being so worried about where are we going to go? Who are we going to teach? What's this street? You know, who, who's this? I just focused on being the best companion possible to him. And, um, and we found people to teach and there's great experiences from that. And, and, and we learned a lot, you know, in, in a really quick amount of time. That's awesome. Yeah, that is. I mean, in anything that we talk about here at Hereby Called, we always want to be very open and honest about missionary work. So we, we talk about a lot of highs, right? Yeah. Was there ever a point on your mission where you you might have felt like, yo, this is pretty low? Yes. Absolutely. My, the ne- my next area. That was <laughs> like, right, so let's jump right into it. That was my, yeah. So this is perfect because you you hit the chronological, uh, chronological nail on the piece. head. <laughs> so anyway, so I, 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 I trained, um, I trained Elder James and the next transfer, I was called as a district leader. So I was in the mission. I was six months. And then I had probably the most challenging geographic district because there was no boundaries. It was just a part of Peru. It was this huge valley called Majes. And it's a beautiful valley. And it was just tons of little pueblitos that were inside this massive valley. And um, I was called to be a, 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 a district leader. And I remember being so confused on like what to do. And I felt detached from everything, like literally detached, like the nearest, you know, normal sized town was up the, up this valley and far away. Like it was the most remote place. And I remember feeling so lonely and just confused on what to do. And it was hard to find people to teach because everyone worked in the fields and in the farms so nobody was home during the day. It was just chat. It was like, I was challenged and I had a new missionary with me in that area too. And, and, um, we, it was a small branch. We met in a room inside of a house. So I didn't have that regular church structure around me. Like, here's our building. Come see, you know what I mean? It was just like this room and the district president was like half active. Um, or the branch president was like half active and it was just, it was, it was difficult. And I remember feeling, I, I, I think that was the first time in my life where I really understood like homesickness and feeling depressed. I was like, it was just, it was a battle every day. And my mom, she never wrote me. She was just one of those moms like, good luck. I love you. And she's just not a letter writer. So I would have all these American companions that would get packages, candy and this. And I was like, man, that's, that's cool, man. They'd share some Snickers with me or something. (laughs) I never, I never got that. Uh, in the area I was in, how, how it worked is when your parents send you a package and if you serve in a third world country, it goes to the mission office and then the mission office would put it on a bus and then the bus takes it to the bus station. And then it's just at the bus station. So every couple of days you go to the bus station and ask, is there any letters or packages? And sometimes they'd send a box of Book of Mormon uh, or like a box of new for the, for the lessons. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, Pamphlets. So, you know, we went to say, Hey, is there any packages for the missionaries? Like, yeah. And they gave me this package. It was kind of heavy. It was in a big uh, padded envelope. 
and it said Elder Rajiv Patel. And I looked at the top left and it said Nina Patel. It's like from my mom. And I was like, what the heck? My mom sent me something. <laughs> I'm like, this is awesome. So I was like shocked. And it was at the exact time that I was really struggling to figure out my purpose as a missionary and figure out how I could be effective. And I opened the package and I lifted it up and it was a bag of Bisquick uh, pancake mix. <laughs> The, nothing else. <laughs> and, and I'll explain. I'll explain the significance of that. And I started crying, bro. Like straight up crying right there. I was like, it was like all the emotions. I'm getting emotional even talking about it right now. Yeah. When we grew up, we we didn't have uh we didn't have a lot. And so our treat was like when my when my mom would make us pancakes. Like that was like a big deal to us. And and so when she sent that, that Bisquick bag, it was like, it comforted me. Like that was, it just reminded me of like that, those special times, like that comfort. And it let me know that the Lord was thinking of me. And so sometimes, you know, the Lord sends you his answers and his blessings through other people. And in that moment, my mom sent that to me, took the time to go buy it. Go to the go to the post office, put it in there, send it to me. It it arrived at the exact moment I needed it. After my mission, the first thing I asked my mom the next morning after I got home that night was, "Do you remember you sent me Bisquick?" That and she says, "Yeah." And I said, "Why did you do that?" And she said, "I felt that you were having a hard time." And I never in my letters or my email, I never said like I'm going through a hard time. Mm -hmm. I'm just I don't know. I think I'm just like optimistic by fault a lot. Mm -hmm. And she says, I, I was so worried about you. I just had a feeling you were having a hard time. And so I just felt to send that. And that was the Lord working through her. And, and then that comforted me and that let me know that everything was going to be okay, that the Lord was mindful, that the Lord, you know, was, was proud of the efforts that we were making in that area. And that, that, it just, that got me out of that dark uh, valley. And it's funny cause we were literally in a valley and that was like the <laughs> valley, you know, we talk about peaks and valleys. Yeah, yeah. That was the valley <laughs> of my mission, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's that story. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Pancakes are magical. Yeah. I, I didn't make them. I just kind of kept it on my desk for a while. And I think I gave it to my pensionista and said, Hey, you just add water and she's yeah. like, all right, cool. I don't know if she, I think she might've made some for us. I don't remember. But I kept it for a few days and I just looked at it and I was just, it just made me so happy, you know? Yeah. It's, 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 it's funny, you know, obviously that, that Bisquick meant a lot more to you than it just being a bag of pancakes, but sometimes as a missionary, yeah, something as simple as getting a envelope full of Bisquick changes everything. 100%. Yeah. I yeah. think the, the two best things you can get on your mission, I mean, besides like personal conversion is testimony. It's like a baptism mm -hmm. and a package from yeah. home. Yeah, package from home. Yeah, that was like Super Bowl status, you know, like, yes, I got a package. It's awesome. You yeah. know? Someone's thinking about you, you know, and mm -hmm. someone took the time to think about you. And that package was extra special because the Lord made that package happen. Yeah, that is awesome. Yeah. So you, I guess there's two ways I kind of want to split. Yeah. You served a long time as the assistant to the president. Yeah. And there's a lot of skills and... Mm -hmm. And I kind of want to go into um, how that's helped you today and as a businessman. And, and you're the bishop. We didn't talk about that, yeah. but you're, you're the bishop of your ward right yeah. now. But before we do that, do you mind telling us maybe some of the experiences that you've had with converts or 
or some of the converts that you remember. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm, and I'm alluding specifically to you attended the ceiling of a convert. Yeah. That's a good story. I'll, I'll share that one. That would be great. Um, we, sir, we, 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 we tracked it into a, uh, she was a young woman at the time. She was probably at that time, maybe 15, 16. And her name was Diana. And, um, we just tracked it into her and we asked her if she wanted to learn more about the restored gospel. And she said, sure. And, um, she lived with a family member in, in the capital city, Arequipa. And we started teaching her and she was awesome. She, she kept every single, um, challenge we gave her. Like if we said, Hey, can you read these three chapters tonight? She would do it. She was just very, um, earnest in her, in her seeking of, of the truth. And, um, we bat, she was baptized and it was an amazing experience and she would, she was faithful in the church and she, she started serving and it was just one of those like feel good baptisms. Like you knew, like it was the right thing and it was a blessing in her life and her family totally supported her. And it was, it was amazing. I thought that that was like the end of that story. I was really, you know, and she was, she was one of the sisters, you know, one of the baptisms stories that I had, but years later, so I got home and, um, several years later, I would, we were, I was married at the time. And I think my wife and I were just barely maybe married a year or two. So we're talking probably seven years after I taught, uh, Diana, um, she sends me a message. I can't remember how it was probably through Facebook or something. And she said, Hey, Elder Patel, this is Diana. You taught me the gospel. And I had, I had been keeping up with her and just, you know, we, we kept in touch a little bit and just encouraging her and she was doing great. And she said, Hey, I, I, um, I didn't tell you, but several months ago I moved to Salt Lake. She got some type of a scholarship. And so she got to go to Salt Lake and it was an amazing experience for her to build her testimony, but she met a guy there and his name was Zach. And so Zach, uh, they fell in love and, and, and anyway, she was inviting me to her ceiling in the Salt Lake temple. And I told my wife, I'm like, this is so cool. Like, you know, she, let's go to the ceiling. So we, I bought tickets right there. We flew up to Salt Lake for her, for her ceiling. We were in that ceiling room. And I remember, you know, typically at the end of the ceiling, like you form a line and, and you, you know, give your respects and, mm-hmm. and you leave. Right? And I remember that hug with her husband, newly sealed that I had with them and we embraced each other and it was emotional. And he just thanked me so much. He's just like, thank you for, you know, your work. It's, you know, um, teaching her the gospel and be, we're here because of you. And I remember like just feeling the power of, um, the blessings of the gospel and they have kids now they're doing great. And it was just, it was like, it was a cool, it, it's always cool to, to be part of baptisms, but it's cool when you baptize someone and then you're able to see the long-term blessings of it, mm-hmm. you know? And as missionaries, you get little glimpses of it, but you cherish those little glimpses. Like when you baptize someone and they serve a mission or you yeah. baptize someone and they get sealed in the temple a year later, or you baptize someone and they go on to do really great things. And that was, that was a special experience, you know, to see, you know, as a missionary, when you go out, you know, your job is to, to teach people 
but it doesn't end there, you know? So we're talking almost a decade later, she was getting sealed in the Salt Lake temple, starting an eternal family. And then now that's generational, Yeah, you know? So that was, it was just cool to be a, a piece of that, a, a, like a small part in that. And so it was, it was, it was, uh, it was, it was great, you know? So yeah. that was, that's, that's one. I mean, that's like, is that not like the best? <laughs> yeah. And especially for you, you know, you talked about how you wish that you had that generational yeah. support system and Absolutely. You, you just created that in someone's life. Yeah. yeah. And that, I think about that all the time, bro. Like, honestly, when I'm with a young man, I think about me in that position and how much I was helped through, you know, my own struggles and my own family situation. And it's honestly why I serve so hard because I owe, I owe that. Like I mm -hmm. owe, I owe people to start that generational thing. You know what I mean? Because yeah. there was people that took time out of their lives to help me and saying like, no, bro, you're not going to continue this chain. We got to get you right. We got to, you know what I mean? There's something better. Mm -hmm. And that's why I, I stumbled into a mission and have served and, and it's because of, it's because of them, like, let's start this, let's start the generational train. Now you can do it. So I really, it's important to me, you know, to, to be a part of that. So I, sh I share that all the time. Um, you know, um, we don't have to do what our parents did. You know, we can start now and, and, and create a Definitely. New, new line. Definitely. I had a similar experience and it, uh, the gal was one of my last baptisms, you know, and it's like, if my entire mission, yeah. um, and Again, as a missionary, you're out there doing thousands of contacts, thousands of. Uh, did you guys clap or knock doors? Yeah, we would. We would. Yeah, we would whistle. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, for you know, sure. You're whistling. You don't knock doors. Yeah. Yeah. Thousands of houses, and you know, yeah. to to cross somebody in the street and to introduce yourselves, and then to go teach them the gospel, and then to see them get baptized. Yeah. A lot of times, as a missionary, you get transferred, and you you mm -hmm. you know that that's you, have no you idea. did your part, yeah. and then you know I, I'm getting goosebumps thinking about it. Yeah. You know, like yeah. you know, I get a, a DM on Instagram saying, "Hey, I'm I'm going on a mission." Yes. And it's like, oh my gosh, and then I've still got goosebumps. Yeah, you yeah. come home, and you know, hey, I'm getting sealed, and then for me, it was almost like. I got the macro view for like a good 10 seconds from my heavenly father of like the family tree, right? Like upside down was that street contact mm -hmm. turned into all of this stuff. And you're like, Oh dang. Like, I love that, yeah. like you said, like you're just a little piece, but that little piece makes the biggest difference in tons of generations like, yeah. and generations yeah. and generations. Right. So my people attracted into uh, my dad's not a member of the church. People tracked it into my mom's uh, dad, right? Mm -hmm. Same thing that, you know, my grandpa was smoking a cigar uh, and drinking wine while the, the kids were playing in a kiddie pool. Missionaries could have walked right past him mm -hmm. said, ah, you know, he's drinking and smoking had because they stopped and talked to him. Generations are now affected. And it's just once as a missionary, it's really, you feel like you're just a worker bee, right? Mm -hmm. But when you can like go outside and see how big the hive is and be like, look, this is what I'm helping build. That's, that's kind of when, you know, the, like when you said the veil's lifted, you're like, okay, yeah, this work is really important. Mm -hmm. Right. That's awesome. Yeah. You know, and then, and then one of the things going off what you said, you realize that you're not in control. You're just a piece and God's in control. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. you're, you're just there at the moment that you, you're, you're supposed to be there and you're supposed to do that. And God's guiding you to, to be in that specific situation but God's the one that's going to make everything happen. He's going to control the whole game and you're just a player in it. You yeah. Know? But, <laughs> yeah. But that's why we have to, you have to trust in God and make sure yeah. 
that you're in line with it so that you, 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 you create that effect. I love that, that vision of that, that upside. Yeah. Down like I, I had it for like a good 30 seconds and I was just like, <laughs> Whoa, oh wow. You know? And it was like that again, the importance of, yeah. again, you talk about being blessed to serve every single day. Yeah. Right. Um, somebody said something very similar to me and it was more along the lines of heavenly father will never forget the work that you put in for the mm. rest of your life. So I was like, I'm going to work every single day. And it's very easy to be like, you know what? I'm just going to sit this one out. Right. Cause there's always tomorrow. There's always tomorrow, but that one contact, right. The, that's the importance of every single day, every single lesson. Or, you know, if you're sitting, ha, had you, you know what? I'm just going to play, keep playing my guitar. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, maybe you would have found your way back to the church. And you would have been a, a a great member of the church, even a bishop still, but you wouldn't have those experiences. And those yeah. people, you know, maybe somebody else would have attracted into them, but you wouldn't be a part of their, their puzzle, I guess is what I'm saying. Absolutely. So it, it's when you get, when you get that macro view, it, it, it changes your life. Absolutely. Yeah. And then, and then it makes like your plan A and your B and C and D falling through all okay when you realize like, oh, I was supposed to be here. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. In that moment. And it's also for me, it's a lot of the times when I receive a, let's say personal revelation, it's after the fact mm. it's like, Oh, like, so he was there helping me. I, he was is like, again, using the word a chess piece, or whatever he was moving me to the right position. Right. And you just like, you know, again, as a missionary, it's very easy to feel like you're just a worker. Like yeah. I'm just here. I'm just, I'm laying concrete. Right. You know? And then all of a sudden you get the big glimpse of the, the temple that for the foundation that you're laying and it's like, okay, yeah, that's, that's great. I'm going to keep going. Yeah. So I was going to go back to you serving and kind of the lessons that you've learned mm -hmm. as an assistant and mm -hmm. how that's helped you as a businessman and Bishop today. Mm -hmm. And one person that I think probably has the biggest impact on you, especially when you're the assistant is the mission president and his yeah. wife. What lessons in leadership did they teach you or that rubbed off on you that you try to still apply today? Yeah, no, there's a lot of lessons. So I'll, I'll break down. So remember I was in the Valley, mm -hmm. it was called a plow and I get a call one day and it's the mission president and he says, Hey, um, in our mission, every mission's different, but our mission was set up in a way, our mission president was over three districts. So they, pres mission presidents preside over districts. So um, you know, he had 200 missionaries and then he had to help in three different districts. And so there's a lot of work besides just missionary work that he had to do. He had a lot on his plate. So how he did it is he called three assistants. So there was a, there was two, two, uh, traveling assistants. And then he had, what, uh, an in-office or personal assistant. Um, and so he called me to be his personal assistant. And so my job was to, uh, organize all of his district meetings, his travels, um, I, I got all the missionary, like back in the day, they used to actually send the missionary papers and you know, now it's all online. So I would get the papers and put them. I organized flights. Um, I organized anyone that wanted to see him. I traveled with them to district meetings, made sure, you know, the, the programs were right. All those types of things. Like, like now as a Bishop, he, I was kind of like his executive secretary. Um, and I remember when I got the call, he said, you know, I've, I'm calling you to serve in this, this capacity. I need you on a bus tomorrow. <laughs> I remember I said, yeah, just like anytime you're transferred, you always like, I have more work to do. There's yeah. always more work to do. And I was like, I was crushed. Cause I, I felt like, you know, after the, the pancake mix experience and I, that was the, what I needed to kind of turn my head around and, and, and get, um, get going. 
that happened. And I remember I said, okay. Um, he's like, just pay for the ticket and we'll reimburse you when you get here. I'll see you tomorrow. Click, you know? And at that point I was like, crap, like, I, I didn't want to do it. I got to say goodbye. I got to. Yeah, well, I felt like I felt like without just being honest, like I felt like my mission was over. I'm like, I'm just going to be in an office. I'm not an office guy. You know, I like, I like to be rolling the streets. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 And I'm like, and I just question, I'm like, am I the right guy for this? Like, I, I'm just, I'm, this is not, this is not me, you know? And so I started crying. My companion's like, what's wrong? What happened? I just said, I just got called to, to the office and. And he's like, that's great. That's cool. I'm like, no, I was like, I, I, I was, that was the last thing I would ever want for my mission. That's what I was thinking at the time. Anyways, I, I got on the bus the next day and the, the, the outgoing, um, personal assistant trained me for two days and it was a lot like you even handled the, um, the visa paperworks and that had, those had to be updated every year. And I'd have to go to the immigration offices, basically fight for missionaries to get there. And, and mm -hmm. so I had to create relationships with that, that governmental office in Arequipa. And I have some stories about that too. <laughs> I, I got to know him really well. His name was Caesar. He gave me a hard time, but we became friends. So I would go into an office like this and basically have all the paperwork. It was like the, like that, like you see in the movies, like you're missing a paper clip here, this paper's missing. And yeah. it was like, so I made sure I dialed everything in. It was stressful. Um, and then I had to organize trips for them to go to Lima to, to, to do it in the capital. It was like a, it was like a big administrative job that, um, that you were in charge of. And I just, I remember him showing me stuff and I remember like we were there in the office late one night and we had been training all day. He'd been showing me all this stuff how to look up the directory of leaders, how to do these programs, how to do the, the mission paper submittals, how to do the, um, how to organize the, um, the uh, visa paperwork and the legal, legal paperwork and the, the, the doctor's offices. And it just went on forever. And I remember it was just like, I was tired. I was like looking down and he stopped and he looked at me and he said, Elder Patel, are you okay? It was, his name was Elder Jones. And he, we were just speaking English the whole time. And he's like, Hey, Hey bro, are, are you doing okay? And I just started crying. I was just overwhelmed, you know? Cause I did, that was the last thing I wanted to do was to be in a mission office with a bunch of paperwork, you know? And I told him, I said, I don't want to be here. And he says, you know, I thought the same thing, bro. Like I thought the same thing, but it's an amazing experience. Like no one, he told me this and, and I've never forgot this. He said, no one will get to know the mission president. Like you will, you are the closest to the mission president because you're with him and talking to him constantly every single day. And, and at the end of my mission, my last testimony was, was, was that when I testified to all the missionaries that no one got to know him, like I know him, I, like I knew him and that was a special blessing. But what I learned from that particular calling, once I started settling in was that revelation relies on information. And so what I started to do was I started to fall in love with information. So I would get the mission papers and I knew every missionary, all 203 missionaries. I knew their full names, where they were from, their interests, everything about them. I would study their mission, um, their papers. Yeah, their application. And I, be, I fell in love with it. I would know his full name, where he's from, what he likes, any, anything that their bishop said about him. And, and I, I dialed in and I knew everything about every single missionary. And I love that information. And 
So when I would be with the president, he had his traveling assistants with him and he would bring me in. He said, what do you think about this? And I, I was so versed on the information that I was able to contribute to certain, you know, part, uh, uh, companionship callings. And if this one would work with this one and I got to know the mission president, I learned a ton from him. I learned how the church structure worked better. Um, I learned to love the country because I was working in some of the, like the governmental offices. I was, I just learned to love information and people and we still had an area. So we worked until three in the offices and then we tracked it and we respected to still have people to teach and baptize. The Lord blessed us. We were, we were very blessed with converts. And, and so I still had that portion of my mission, but I served as that personal assistant for six months. And then I had the same feeling when I left, when I went back to the, I, I was, I felt sad. I was like, oh, I'm going to miss, miss working yeah. with the president every day. But then I got called back later on. I don't know if we want to talk about it right now, but <laughs> then I called back. I, then I was a, a zone leader for a couple of transfers. And then the mission president called me like, Hey, you got to come back. So I, then I went for back. the same there, secretary role or, or no, were you a traveling assistant? I was a traveling assistant. Gotcha. Yeah. For so seven I got, months. I got a question for you yeah. now. So take, you know, going back to that phone call when you were sitting there and you hang up the phone yeah. and you start crying. Yeah. Um, cause I, I, I want to put some similarities here. Um, you're a bishop now. Yeah. What was the, did you rely on that experience on your mission when you got called to be a bishop? Were mm -hmm. you, I mean, not that anybody would sit there and go, I don't want to be a bishop. But yeah. when, you know, when you're, there's that overlap time between bishops and he's briefing you and you sit there and you go, oh man. Yeah. Like, so oh, yeah. tell me, tell me, like, <laughs> and it, you know, you got to know your missionaries. I'm sure you're the same yeah. way with your young men and young women. Yeah. Right. So yeah. tell me how that, that experience has like prepared you, prepared you. Mm -hmm. Or becoming a bishop. Yeah. It prepared me because I love information now. Mm -hmm. Like I have my, like I would look at the mission papers and study their lives and their names and where they're from. I do that with, I try to do that with the members and try to understand who they are. And so I, that was a learning experience for me. And that helps in the revelatory process. You know, when you, when you actually get to know people and see where they're from and who they are that information helps in revelation mm -hmm. uh anytime you're called to a new calling i had a lot of lessons i learned for sure um but when you're called it is a daunting thing because you don't know how to do anything and so on my wrist i wear this every day it says do the work and when i was called as a bishop six months ago i I had those same feelings as I had as an early missionary, almost feeling like I wasn't uh, like an imposter. Yeah. 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 You know, like I'm, who am I? Yeah. For real. You know? And, um, I had a special experience reading the scriptures, um, reading, I, I was praying for direction and I was trying to gather information. So I would talk to former bishops and see what they were doing and, and, and see what I need to do. And I would, I would kind of have all this information, all these notes I would take. And then they were all a little bit different, but, uh, I had a meeting with our stake president and he said, you, you need to pray, like pray for your own direction. And I did. And I, and I asked the Lord to kind of guide me through the scriptures and I opened the scriptures and I opened the ether and I read about the brother of Jared. And what I learned was the brother of Jared was led to that seashore. It said it was a, the spirit was like in a cloud, mm -hmm. cloud of light. But when he got to the seashore, they stayed there for a few years. 
They didn't. It was like four years, and it's four like four years. And the Lord chastised. He, he, yeah, the, what the, are you doing? The dude? Lord pulls up, bro. Yeah, the <laughs> Lord pulls up. It's like, bro, like, what's going on? You know, you know, <laughs> like, what's up? And I've been waiting, and you know, yeah, chastises them for several hours. Absolutely. And this is I've read it so many times at this point. It's on page four ninety. So <laughs> That's like, awesome. I'll yeah. go back and read it. Yeah, four ninety at the bottom right of that page. It'll the Lord chastises him on page four ninety one. The Lord, in His infinite wisdom, instead of saying like, "All right, well, I'll keep guiding you. Let's go. You know, this is what you need to do." He says, "I'm not going to tell you what to do anymore. Go to work and build." And so the brother Jared starts to construct these barges, but the Lord doesn't tell him how to do it. He already gave him some instructions prior when they were mm-hmm. traveling through the wilderness. And and what the brother Jared does is instead of getting guided, 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 he does it. And if he has a question, then he brings it to the Lord. Mm-hmm. And the Lord says, "Hey, give me some suggestions." based off of the information and the knowledge you have. So when I read that, that hit me like a ton of bricks. And that's why I wear this. It says, do the work on my wrist, because it's like, I, I have to rely on the information and my calling as a person and do everything I can and then bring it to the Lord if I'm stuck. Yeah. You know? Awesome. And so I learned that a lot as a missionary. I mean, I'm sure you guys have similar special experiences, but that, that helped set the tone. Um, and that's what I think leadership is all about, you know, doing everything you can um, after all you can do, you know, that grace will come. Yeah. And I think you, you know, sitting here before us, I think you would say that you, that applies to everyday life, right? Not just being called as a bishop, yeah. be, but be as a businessman as well, an entrepreneur yeah. or yeah. a businessman, right? Is you know, you, as a missionary, there's a thousand different ways you can, you can practice a street contact or whistling doors or whatever, but <laughs> yeah. ain't nothing going to like hit you like a ton of bricks unless you do it. Right. Absolutely. And the same thing, uh, you know, how, how has that helped you outside of your callings in the church and outside of your history as a missionary with that same mentality going into being an entrepreneur? How, is, is that your same approach to everything yeah. you touch? Yeah. You know, like the brother Jared, like that's like a good symbolism for being an entrepreneur you have in a structure, an idea of what you want and you work at it until you find a problem. Like he built the barge and after he built it, he's like, how are we going to breathe? Yeah. You know what I mean? Oh shoot. <laughs> and that happens a lot as like owning business and, and, uh, and being an entrepreneur. It's like you do things and then you realize like, oh no, like how is this going to happen now? So, but it took him doing that to realize that there was an issue, mm-hmm. you know? So sometimes that's, I think about that a lot. Sometimes you just, you think you have an idea, you do it, but you don't know until you do it. Yeah. And then you have to have that humility to ask, you know, like in, in a spiritual sense, you have to ask the Lord in a business sense, you have to ask people that have done it before and say, Hey, like, what would you do in this situation? Be humble enough to seek answers, but do everything you can prior to try to get the answer, uh, to try to get the answer yourself. Um, and, 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 and there's so many different ways, you know, and you have to use uh, almost, you have to use past experiences to help you too. So for instance, the brother of Jared, um, he's like, how are we going to see? At that point, the brother of Jared had probably seen three sources of light. He'd seen the sun. You can't put the sun in the barge. Uh, he's seen probably fire. You can't put a fire, it'd burn the barge down. And he had seen that cloud of light that it said in, on page 490. And so he's like, well, if the Lord, if I could bring the Lord with me, if he could touch these stones, that's, yeah. I've seen that light before. There wasn't yeah. light like we see right here above us, you know, with electricity that mm-hmm. didn't exist. So he used 
what he's seen before to find a solution too. So sometimes you have to look at different examples and things that are around you to yeah. find solutions. I think the awesome part too in that story, and correct me if I'm wrong, is he actually went and found the nicest stones he could. He did, he yeah. laid it up, right? Yeah. He said, Hey, you know, I've come here. This is my solution. Can you then, I don't know how to make these things glow, but I know you can, you know, yeah. I, I think that's in life and in being an entrepreneur and, 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 and missionary work. A lot of times it's, he's waiting for you to, to lay it up so he can dunk it. <laughs> got, yeah. And that's, and I mean, it's, yeah, it's called missionary work for a reason. You really yeah. have to sanctify yourself by working as hard as you can. And then the Lord blesses you. I, what my experience that I learned is that I wanted the opposite. I wanted to know what I needed to do before I worked, Yeah, yeah. but the Lord's like, no, it's not like that. How you really build your faith or build a business is you work. Then you seek the answers based off of the problems that you have. Yeah. So we, we've talked a lot about life. Yeah. Um, you know, the ups and downs of, of a missionary and, and some of those small tender mercies that we get to kind of bring us out of things. Is there, is there one thing in, you know, s summarizing everything in your missionary work, is there one thing that you realized about yourself that, that really surprised you? Um, now oh, that's a good question. That's, a, I know it's kind of open-ended, yeah, but that's if there's one thing you could, you know, put your, put your finger on that really surprised you that you didn't know about yourself up until that point. What would that be? Yeah, I think, um, I think the biggest thing was, um, you know, I, I was called to serve, I, you know, I served in the office a long time. I was called to do things that I really wasn't that comfortable with. I didn't have any experience, um, doing those types of things. I remember, um, being at times overwhelmed or I don't know how I'm going to do this, but I think the biggest thing is, is we talked about it before. The Lord will take you as you are and make you great. You don't, it's not the opposite. You don't have to be great for the Lord to take you. The Lord will take you and he will make you better. And I feel like that is something that we need to learn better as a people and as a, as a, as wards and as just members. I think some people have this mindset of, I need to be great to be accepted by the Lord. So I need to do all this work. I need to do all this stuff before I can be saved, or I need to do all this stuff before I can feel quote unquote worthy. And it is the opposite. You, you need to understand that the Lord will take you where you're at, who you are, any life experience you have. And if you trust in him, he will, he will take you to that level. You don't have to be great on your own. The Lord is the one that, that really, makes you great. So I think on my mission was a good, and for anyone, I'm sure you two guys would say the exact same thing hands down is like, you really learn how great you can be and how much you can get through because the Lord is on your side and you get, you don't get a better glimpse of that than on your mission because you're, he's guiding you every day. And like you said earlier, you look back and realize after the fact sometimes, oh, that was revelation. Dang, a month ago, that was, that was the Lord guiding us to that street. Or six months ago, yeah, we were supposed to talk to her. Now look at this. You, you, sometimes you have to, in hindsight, you have hindsight revelation. You see that. But it's, it's because the Lord 
is taking you from wherever you're at and, 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 and making you great and putting you in those, those positions to, to have his work done. Awesome. That, that's all we got. Like you've, you've been a wealth of knowledge and of experience. And I love, I've loved interviewing you. If you want to do a part two, we can do that. <laughs> like I, no, thanks guys. It, I've enjoyed it. It's been a good time. And I'm, I'm sorry it took so long to get you here, but I'm, I'm glad that we got you. No, I'm yeah. glad. Everything in its time, right? And I think, yeah. you know, our listener base is different now. It's grown, right? So there's people out there that, you know, are definitely out there to hear your words. And that's awesome. Thanks, guys. Wrapping up, we kind of have a tradition of people bearing their testimony and their mission language. Yeah. Would you be interested in doing that? Absolutely, yeah. All right. Mi <clears> misión... <throat> Realmente fue una experiencia que pude acercarme más a Dios y a Jesucristo. Y por las experiencias que yo tuve en la misión, yo sé que nuestro Redentor Jesucristo fue alguien que murió por nosotros, por los pecados que tenemos. Y por eso podemos volver a vivir juntamente con Él. Y esa bendición nos da también la esperanza de tener una vida especial y tener el Espíritu con nosotros siempre. Yo sé que el libro de Mormón es un libro lo más verdadero de, en el mundo que podemos tener. Y si nos acercamos a las palabras de ese libro y lo leemos y lo creemos con todo nuestro corazón, nuestras vidas van a cambiar. Thank you. Appreciate it. We'll, uh, we'll wrap this up and probably post this in the next couple of weeks. Random shout out that we didn't do earlier. Nico's Barbershop. Yeah. Nico's Barbershop. Come, come get a haircut. Come get a haircut. <laughs> yeah. For sure, bro. And Mesa, Gilbert, and... Open up a third location? Yeah. We'll, we'll open a third. Yeah. In the next, uh, yeah. The next year. Yeah. In 2022. Awesome. Yeah. In, in South Gilbert. So. Sounds good. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Thank you again. Right. Thank you.